Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Hey guys, and welcome to the Dog Speak podcast. I am Nikki Ivy, your host. I am thrilled that you are joining me to talk puppies, dog training, real life manners, and more. Be sure to check out our Facebook page as well as our website at dogspeak101.com. Hey, all my wonderful dog speak geeks. I hope you're having a wonderful week. Uh, thanks for being patient for this episode. Um, we just got really busy and caught up with some work, um, but I really wanted to go deep into this episode. And, and so there was a lot of things I needed to put together because um, I want to go a little nerdy on it. Uh, today, we're going to talk about fear, anxiety, phobias, what that looks like, what are the causes, what can we do to help the dogs that are suffering from it, um, and what are we going to run into if we don't help our dogs deal with fear, anxiety, and or phobias? I deal with anxiety, fear, and phobias on a regular basis with my clients. Um, it seems that um, probably 70% of the dogs I deal with suffer from some form of fear, anxiety, or phobia. And I'm going to be using those different terms because they do mean different things. Um, I know a lot of times people will put those words together and they kind of kind of lump it all into one category, but really it, they are different things and there are different reasons. There are different causes for it. Um, and so there are definitely things that we need to look at because your dog can't sit down and say, hey, you know what, mom, I'm really feeling stressed. Um, I'm feeling you know a little hopeless. I'm a little worried about this. I'm a little worried about that. Or I get really stressed out when you're yelling at the kids. Um, you know, they can't tell you these things. And what ends up happening is our dogs continue with this constant stress that can turn into serious health issues, that can create immune deficiencies, can create um, colitis, um, you know, excessive um, diarrhea. There are, there are just so many things that, that can happen there. And we're going to kind of get more involved into it. 
Um, Because there is a lot that I really want to talk about. And uh, because I get a little frustrated when people think that their dog is anxious or nervous and that's just the way they are. I don't want people to think that that's just the way the dog is and that there's nothing we can do about it. A dog should never have to live in a state of anxiety or stress or fears and phobias. Uh, Imagine having a panic attack every day. This is something that can happen with dogs. It is not good for the dog. It's not healthy, not mentally, not physically, and it sure doesn't help the relationship of humans and their dogs because they typically will express themselves doing things that we're not really crazy about. So that's what I really want to talk about today is is really get more involved to help you understand what that looks like and to start taking it more seriously. Uh, Because I think a lot of people, like I said, just think that's the dog, that's the way they are, that's the way they were born, and that there's nothing they can do about it. And the other thing that I see is when a dog has a little anxiety, a little fear, they don't tend to do many things. They don't tend to get themselves into trouble. They don't do a lot of bad behaviors, frankly, because they're too afraid to. And a lot of people think, well, hey, you know, the dog isn't doing anything bad, so I don't need to obviously do anything different. The problem is if your dog's not doing anything bad, um, and their motivation behind that is fear, anxiety, then we have a serious issue there. If a dog is not doing anything bad, uh, the motivation is because they just know that that's not what is, you know, allowed then we're good. But when the motivation is um, pushed by fear, anxiety, phobias, when that motivation um, is there with that, then it's it's not good. It's not good for the dog. It's not healthy for the dog. And it's really not humane. Um, and that's how a lot of times aversive training works, is that they count on fear of the correction to be the motivator of getting a dog to do good. So this is why we say do not board and train. Do not use aversive techniques because when you're using fear as the motivator to get a dog to behave, that's really abuse. And um, and if you look at pretty much any abusive relationship, if you've ever known one, if you've bless your heart, if you've ever been in one, um, fear is the basis of everything. And the way that can take a toll on on your body is horrible. And dogs cannot express that in the ways that humans can. It's our job to make sure that we are looking at a dog, that we are seeing a dog, and that we're making sure that the dog is healthy mentally, physically, and um, is living its best life. It is our job to do that um, if we are so inclined to have a dog. So that is one of the things that I, I really try to push people to understand that, look, I'm all about positive training, and I'm not against aversive training because that's not what I do. I'm not against aversive training because it is, some people may think it's competition. It is not my competition. I can promise you that. Um, What I don't like about it is the fact that it relies on fear to motivate a dog to be good. And that, my friends, is an abusive relationship. So I highly recommend that you always focus on positive reinforcement training with your dog and um, understand that, yes, consequences are a part of learning, but they should never be physically or emotionally harming, and your dog should never be afraid. Uh, There should never be a fear response there. So keep that in mind, especially as the days get a little bit warmer and we move into spring and summer, and if people start getting out, so many times people will see dogs out without a leash with their dog, and they're thinking, oh, isn't that great? My dog, you know, that dog is off leash. I want my dog to be off leash. But if you look closely, a lot of times these dogs are wearing shock collars, 
and owners are carrying remote controls. And so that's really just an invisible leash, which can actually do a lot more damage than um, just a leash in general. So don't be jealous of those guys. Matter of fact, you need to feel sorry for the dog that is wearing the shock collar because the owner is um, basically using fear to motivate the dog to be good. And I never, ever want to do that. So as we get into fear, let us, let's just kind of talk a little bit about what fear, um, what it is and what it looks like. Um, and, you know, what are some of the common fears that dogs run into? Um, you know, fear is something that can occur really at any time. There are many reasons for it. Uh, but basic fear, if you look at, um, if you kind of look at the definition of fear, uh, you're really looking at is basically it's an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by an anticipation or awareness of danger. Um, you can also have it as a state uh, marked by fear. So basically the dog is fearful, um, an anxious concern, reason for alarm. You know, so that fear can basically be um, a feeling that we all feel. Um, and there are certain things that create it. And there are certain things that um, you know, help it. So fear can definitely be felt by dogs. And there are a lot of different fears that are out there. Um, it's just a matter of seeing what your dog has. So when you look at something like fear anxiety, the fear, basically what it's going to do is when a dog feels fearful, um, that's an immediate emotional response automatically they go into a good fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, so in, when there's a fear, then the dog needs to react to it. So physically, they're going to need to react to it. Um, and a lot of times it is uh, caused by a certain type of trigger. It could be caused by a certain trigger. It can also be that the dog is just kind of has some generalized fear anxiety, um, but there's just a lot of different reasons for it. And I'm not going to go into deep detail of every one of those things that are there. Um, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of kind of a general overall of understanding of fear, because I think you've all seen it. You know, when a dog is fearful of a loud noise or fearful of a, you know, a motorcycle going by, those are basically... Um, you know, simple little fears that we can really work on that. Those are not that big of an issue. Sometimes it happens. Dogs, you know, puppies, as they're growing, they go through fear periods. Um, and, you know, and there are signs of fear that you may see with your dog. Um, sometimes you're seeing mild symptoms like just tr some trembling, maybe uh, some passive escape behaviors where they're just trying to, you know, they're sitting to the nearest door away from something. Maybe you're out in public and they're sitting as close to your car because that's where they want to go in. You put them into the dog park. They're not happy, so they're sitting next to the gate, um, kind of wanting to leave. And, of course, they can go into panic modes where the dog is really panting, pacing, is um, really trying to escape, running back and forth, trying to find um, an escape route. So there are obviously different levels of your fear. Um, but a lot of the fear issues that we get are pretty uh, simple. They're easy to explain and they're fairly easy to deal with. When we start getting into uh, something like um, fear as a verb, um, that basically that's something to be afraid of. So a dog expects with alarm um, to be afraid or apprehensive of something. 
Um, the dog may be fretful, may be stressful. Um, you may be having a little worry. So that just that anticipation uh, can easily create some fear. So let's say that every time you've come home uh, five days out of the week, you come home and yell at your dog because they've chewed something up. Well, by the next week, your dog is going to be showing some fear when you pull into the driveway and when you walk into the house, even if it's not chewed on anything, uh, because it's been conditioned that when you come home, they get in trouble. So now that fear has been created with you coming home. And in your mind, you're thinking, he knows he did something wrong because he, you know, cowers and walks away. When in actuality, you've just created um, a conditioned response of when you come home for the dog to be fearful. And that is something we don't want to do. Again, we've got to stop putting this fear in our dogs. We're causing so many issues with uh, creating that fear. And sometimes we don't mean to create the fear. Sometimes it is accidental. Sometimes, um, you know, the dog out of the blue is fearful of something, uh, something that startles the dog, and now the dog has a fear of it. Um, but again, those issues are typically easy to deal with when we're dealing with fear. Now, when we start talking about uh, a little bit deeper, when we start talking about like anxiety, um, anxiety, um, it really, it's the anticipation of unknown, right? Um, or an imagination of uh, future dangers. So separation anxiety is really kind of what most people think about. You start to put on your shoes, dog is anticipating you leaving the house, and so the dog starts to pant, starts to pace. Um, and, and this is really one of those things that it doesn't have to have a real reason behind why your dog has separation anxiety. Sometimes it's just there's no specific explanation. It could be that the dog has never had a bad time when you've left the house, um, but for some reason the dog is starting to get panicky when you're putting on shoes, grabbing your purse, grabbing your keys, uh, whatever it is that, that you typically do. And you'll start to get a dog showing a little bit of that panic. Now, not every dog is going to show that. Um, it can be created by dogs that have been abandoned, dogs that have been in many different homes, dogs that um, may have had, maybe they've been home when the house was broken into. Um, a lot of times that can also cause a dog to have some real anxiety about being left alone. Um, but I, I don't want you to go overboard on the thinking of abandonment, um, you know, but if a dog is not confident and is you know, being moved from home to home to home and has had several many, you know, many different owners, then yeah, the dog can absolutely create a little bit of separation anxiety. Um, but it's not always something specific. Um, so there's not always that specific trigger. And sometimes, you know, it will start where the dog doesn't even show any anxiety until you leave the house and you're gone. Um, and then it will slowly start to get worse. So you definitely need to, to look at your dog and watch your dog and sometimes just set up a camera. If you have any, any concern that your dog is having separation anxiety, set up a camera and watch your dog. Uh, it doesn't have to show symptoms when you're getting ready to leave the house. It can be showing symptoms when you're not there. So uh, definitely check that out and see if your dog is actually suffering from something uh, like anxiety when you're not home. Uh, but again, Separation anxiety, anxiety in general, uh, can typically be dealt with uh, by building some confidence up, and sometimes we have to deal with some medication, but we're going to get into all of that. Uh, I want to talk about phobias, because phobias is a real thing for dogs. 
Um, basically, with a phobia, a dog always will lose it in certain situations or possibly seeing a certain object. Um, it can absolutely present itself in the view of a trigger or even in the anticipation of a trigger. So, um, you, you know, you get that kind of the pressure changes when a thunderstorm is coming and a dog will learn to feel that change and um, will, will be anticipating of the thunderstorm. And so when that pressure changes, the dog will begin to show signs of anxiety and it will continue through that thunderstorm process. So uh, the phobia, you know, when you're talking about thunderstorm, we talk about, you know, fear of thunderstorms. It's really a phobia issue, um, you know, so, and that is a very common phobia that we do see with dogs. Um, but, you know, when we look at phobias, truly it's an extreme or irrational fear um, or aversion to something. And it doesn't always have to have a reason. You know, a dog doesn't necessarily have to have been left out in a storm. Uh, it doesn't, didn't have to actually be in a, you know, a tornado to be afraid of storms, but that can certainly cause those issues. Uh, so sometimes there's just no real reason. Um, and just so y'all know, the, the term for being afraid of thunderstorms is called astrophobia. Um, and I did not know that until I was doing some research. So astrophobia is, um, you know, the true name of thunderstorm phobia. So here, you get a little, little new stuff today for that. Um, you know, abnormal, there are some abnormal phobias that I have seen in my years of working with dogs. Um, a lot of things that are fairly normal would be things like uh, going to the vet, getting their blood drawn. Uh, some dogs have phobias of car rides, and that could simply be because they get car sick. They may have certain issues with humans. Maybe it's, I have a phobia of men with um, hats on, or, you know, I have a phobia of small children with, um, you know, small little cars they push around. There are a lot of different things. And then there can be some really abnormal ones like being, uh, having a phobia of insects. And I've seen a couple of dogs have some issues with flies and um, deer flies, small flies, not deer flies. I, say, I think, yeah, deer flies, horse flies, you know, the bigger flies. Um, those are the ones that can sometimes cause some issues. They can, you know, torment a dog. They can uh, bite a dog and they can cause some issues with that. So, you know, those are times. So when I start dealing with dogs that have some, some behavioral issues, whether it's showing some aggression issues, showing some weird phobia issues, I ask questions like, do you see your dog staring at the wall? Do you see your dog trying to catch invisible flies? Um, that can also show some neurological problems, but sometimes it's really the dog has a phobia of insects. Uh, and again, they can't tell you these things. And so it makes it difficult. I think that's why I love my job because it's like putting a puzzle together. You know, I ask a lot of questions and I start putting the answers together, trying to make sense of what the dog is really feeling and what they're uh, truly exhibiting um, and having issues with. So, you know, there's sometimes you have dogs that's just anxious all the time. That's just generalized anxiety. There's no real explanation. There's no specific trigger. The dog is just anxious. I call that a lack of confidence, uh, which I think a lack of confidence can cause a lot of the problems of anxiety, not necessarily phobias, but uh, a lot of anxiety issues, I think, come from a lack of confidence, the lack of ability of handling a situation that may be stressful, uh, having dog language skills and being able to use those on a regular basis. 
so the lack of socialization a lot of times will create that issue. So, you know, it's really, when we start looking at it, we can say, is there, you know, is there a specific gene that has caused this? Is the dog born with it? I do think that there are a lot of dogs that are born with the seed of um, predisposition to anxiety, fears, phobias. But I think there's also a lot of things that we can do to help that. Um, And then there are just some dogs that are just going to have that, uh, you know, predisposition, no matter what you do, they're kind of struggling with it. And so we have to, to really look and see, is this a learned behavior? Is this uh, genetics? Uh, What can we do to help with this? And there are a lot of things that we can do, and it can sometimes be a um, a long path to walk, but it's definitely going to be worth it. So uh, there are also things when we have a fear that we don't really have a name to. We, there's no real reason for it. The dog's just fearful. Um, it's basically, we call that idiopathic fear. Uh, it's basically fear with an unknown cause. Um, and it can really be triggered by anything or it can be, be triggered by nothing. So those can be some neurological issues as well that goes along with it. The bottom line is, is if your dog has any type of fear, anxiety, or phobias, we need to do things. We need to get this dog feeling better. We need to get this dog, um, you know, feeling confident and dealing with the world. Because I do want to get into how this truly will affect your dog, not just behaviorally, but will affect your dog physically. So um, when we look at clinical signs of fear and anxiety, you can get anything from mild behavior, uh, trembling, uh, tucking the tail, trying to hide, reduced activity. Um, I see that a lot in aversively trained dogs where they'll just sit there and wait for someone to tell them what to do because they have the fear of doing something wrong because they are motivated by the fear uh, of being corrected or yelled at or used a shot collar, whatever it might be. Then you can get dogs that really get into panic mode. And this is a true thing. Dogs can have um, panic attacks. Uh, Their heart rates increase. Their eyes will dilate. And um, they can easily start panting, pacing. They're really trying to escape. Um, They are really just kind of, what as some people look at blowing it out of proportion, um, and if you've never had an anxiety attack, then you it's hard for you to understand what that's like. There's sometimes no rhyme or reason, and there's really, it's a very difficult thing to control. And that's something our dogs can feel, but they can't tell us that. Uh, so we have to really watch. Anytime I'm dealing with dogs, I'm always looking at their, their eyes to see if their pupils are dilated, because that will tell me a lot of things. Are they pacing? Are they panting? Uh, and it gives me a lot of really good information when I start to read uh, that body language. Now, obviously, you can get um, some uh, sympathetic, autonomic nervous system activity like diarrhea, vomiting. Uh, you can also get a dog um, who will consistently and obsessively lick or bite on their body, which in turn cause lesions, hot spots. And of course, you can also get into tail chasing, circling. Um, again, I see dogs that have been used, um, have been trained with aversive methods. They will do a lot of pacing around in a circle and they will do tail chasing. Uh, Because of that fear, it just continues to kind of grow. It's really a sad thing um, when I have to see dogs like that and when I have to know that with just a little more education, we can stop 
people from sending their dogs off to be trained, uh, using shock collars and prong collars and correction collars and screaming and yelling and teaching their kids to scream and yell and hit the dog. And, you know, that is something that we have to really avoid uh, so that we can help our dogs be the best that they can be. Uh, Now, when we're looking at stress, anxiety, fears, phobias, uh, we we do want to look at some of the symptoms that you may be getting. Uh, so if any of, if your dog is giving any of these symptoms at any time, then we need to look deeper at your dog's behavior. Um, a lot of behavior uh, that you'll see with anxiety, fears and phobias, elimination in the home, where they're fully housebroken, but they're peeing and pooping on a regular basis. That can be stress-related. Um, especially if you're not home, separation anxiety, a lot of times we do see that. If the dog is not housebroken, then it's probably not anxious, it's just not housebroken. But if the dog is housebroken and it starts eliminating, then we definitely need to look deeper at what's going on. Any destructive behavior, if the dog knows better than to chew on things and bite things. So we're talking non-puppy behaviors. But if the dog is just starting to chew things up and tearing things up, we need to look deeper. Sometimes it's boredom, but sometimes there is some anxiety there. And of course, I think boredom can create anxiety. If we don't set those expectations with dogs and they don't know what they need to be doing, that can create anxiety. Uh, Tucking the tail, like we mentioned, the dilated pupils, panting and pacing, Obviously, panting can happen when the dog's hot and been playing, but if it's out of context pacing and out of context panting, then we need to probably look at that a little deeper. Any trembling, trembling is definitely going to show you that the dog is nervous, stressed, anxiety, fear, phobia, um, excessive use of calming signals. If you see a dog really kind of go through all those signals to try to, to calm themselves down or an external behavior. Uh, decreased appetite refusal to eat. I know when I deal with a lot of dogs, when they're super fearful, they will not take treats. They will not take food. They will not take anything. That dog is shut down at that point. So we know there's some serious issues going there, which is why I don't like when people try to use food to get a dog to feel okay and feel comfortable. Uh, The dog taking the food is not really giving you information that the dog is not uncomfortable But the dog not taking the food will definitely tell you the dog is not comfortable. Okay, so let me say that again. A dog that takes food from you is not necessarily telling you they're comfortable with you being in their space. However, if a dog does not take treats from you, then they are absolutely telling you they're not comfortable with you in the space. So keep that in mind. Whining and whimpering. Um, some eye aversion if the dog won't look at you, won't make eye contact, if they're fidgety, if they're trying to hide or escape. Um, again, the excessive licking on themselves. This can also be excessive licking on objects or other items. Um, or they're just totally avoiding interactions. Um, when I see young puppies that do not come running up to me and wagging that tail and jumping and just being puppies, and they're really kind of avoiding the interaction, then I know we have some deep issues. And sometimes with puppies, if they're young puppies, we're looking at a uh, genetic issue. But if I'm seeing puppies that have been in a home, uh, they've been there for a few weeks, they could either be going through a fear period, or we've already started creating the fear and anxiety issues by what we are doing. Uh, So we have to be very careful that we are not creating the fear. You know, it's like when people yell at their dog or their puppy for peeing in the house, you're not teaching a dog to not potty in the house. You're teaching them to be afraid of you and peeing at the same time. Um, And so you're creating fear right there. We've got to stop using fear 
to teach. This is not appropriate behavior, right? So when we are looking at the causes of fear, anxiety, phobias, and we really start getting involved in there, you're looking at things like lack of confidence, uh, being forced into an unfamiliar or frightening experience. So many times people will take puppies and a dog, you know, they might be afraid of, let's say the neighbor's trash can. And an owner will spend five minutes trying to get their dog to see that it's just the trash can and it's just like the trash can they have in their own driveway. This is not going to help your dog feel better about the trash can. Matter of fact, you're going to make the issue worse because you're forcing it upon them. Um, If a dog is being deprived of social and and, and environmental exposure um, until 14 weeks of age, we have a serious issue. Uh, This is one of my biggest concerns is the veterinarian community is basically making people afraid to take their dogs out until all their vaccines are done. If we wait to 14 or 16 weeks to take dogs out, then we've got serious behavior issues, which in turn is going to create serious physical issues. And now we're just going to have a long life of dealing with behavior and medical issues with your dog. There are safe ways to get your dog in the environment. There are safe ways to socialize your dog before they get all their vaccinations. So please, please do not wait until your dog gets all its vaccines before you start associating good things with the environment, good things with people, good things with other dogs. You've got to get these dogs out immediately, immediately. There are safe ways to do it. You can carry the dog. You can put them in a stroller. You can keep them in the car and let them just take in the environment. Have people come up to the car and pet your dog. Find friends with dogs. Have them come over. There are safe ways to do it. But I'm telling you, it is imperative that we've got to get the dogs out and socialized. And they've got to be exposed to the environment before their vaccines are completed. The majority of the dogs are in shelter and rescue We're not taking out in public, not socialized before all their vaccines were done. And they got uh, put into shelter and they got given up because of the behavior issues, the fear, the anxiety, whether that's turned into learned aggression, whatever that has turned into. So it really is, you can see, you can probably hear by now, I'm pretty passionate about this because it's frustrating for me because there are ways to avoid it. There are ways to avoid all these fear issues, all right? I should not have to be working as many behavior cases if we start doing the things that we need to do on the front end, right? I should just be teaching people how to teach their dogs real life manners, off-leash and on-leash skills. Uh, But instead, we're dealing with a lot of behavior issues. Now, granted, I am so grateful for those that go and rescue these dogs and adopt them at older ages with the behavior issues they have, and then are willing to work on it. You guys are rock stars, right? So keep doing that. Um, You know, phobias and panic, um, basically, if you have a dog who has a history of not being able to escape something scary. So for an example, you lock them in your crate, and you run the vacuum cleaner around them, and they cannot escape that vacuum cleaner, you're going to create a real panic in that dog, and you're going to create a real serious phobia with the vacuum cleaner. Uh, So you have to be careful of those. We want a dog to be able to escape or get away from, from whatever stimulus is causing the phobia, right? And this is where another issue comes in that if I have a dog who is really afraid of other dogs and the dog is approaching and somebody tightens the leash and they don't let their dog move away from it, 
they're creating a real panic and that's where you're getting the reactivity. And we're going to talk more about leash reactivity based on fear um, next week's podcast and on things what you can do. But I want you to understand where it's coming from. I want you to understand what's causing it. It's when we tighten that leash up and we're holding the dog to where they cannot escape. Right? A kid is running up to them and they can't escape. Now we're creating fears and phobias. Okay. Um, and again, you've got your separation anxiety can easily be created with history of abandonment, having multiple owners over time, um, having something detrimental happen when they're home alone, someone trying to break in, a bad thunderstorm, um, you know, whatever the case may be. A lot of times separation anxiety um, is misdiagnosed from not anxiety, but boredom. So we really have to look at it deeper. Most of of the people that call and tell me their dog has separation anxiety truly doesn't have separation anxiety. Uh, They're just bored. Um, Or they've just not been taught how to behave in the house when no one is home. So again, we have to look at that. And then lastly, we want to look at um, aging. Um, Aging dogs can easily have canine cognitive disorder, which is kind of a, a form of dementia. They can create, that that can start to create fears and phobias. So I see a lot of dogs that have never had a problem with a thunderstorm. As they age, they tend to become more fearful. And it's just the aging process. You would think that the dog has been around thunderstorms for so long. It's not a big deal. But unfortunately, just with uh, cognitive issues, it can definitely create problems the older the dog gets. So there are a lot of, of reasons fears happen, a lot of reason phobias happens, anxiety happens, um, but there are things that, like I said, we can do to prevent it, and then we can definitely, there are things we can definitely do to help your dog out. Before I get into what we can do to help your dog out, I want to talk a little bit about how it does impact your pet when they are stuff, suffering from stress and anxiety. Um, Not only is it giving you external behavior that you may not necessarily like, like tucking the tail, growling at somebody, because again, the growl is saying, I'm not comfortable. So again, never punish that because the dog is giving you that warning. Um, But the dog can absolutely have serious physical problems uh, that can happen. Uh, You know, so I'm going to get just a little scientific here. Um, I found this really nice um, paper from, um, it's actually out of Australia, um, and it was back in 2014, uh, and basically they were just doing a um, study on how does it really affect dogs, and I mean, we obviously know that we're looking at things like your appetite can be decreased, um, the grooming with cats can actually increase if you have a cat that's stressed out that grooming can increase. With dogs, you're just getting mostly, you're licking, constant licking on things, creating those hot spots and those lesions. Uh, The urination and defecation can happen. Uh, Social interactions can absolutely play um, a part in this to where they don't want to interact socially, right? They're too afraid to interact socially. So uh, your vocalizations can increase. And of course, your physical activity can increase or decrease uh, depending on what the dog is truly feeling. Because we start to look at how the central nervous system is 
basically dealing with all of this. Um, and, you know, there are three areas of the brain um, of the central nervous system, which is your, you know, your cerebrum, cerebellum, and the brainstem. But when we're looking at um, behavior problems in pets, the main one we're looking at is the cerebrum. Uh, the cerebral cortex is, is involved in the problem solving and the, logis- the logical thought process, excuse me. And, you know, dogs have to have a good limbic system if they are going to um, really learn new behavior. So that's got to be working really, really well right there. And, uh, and so that's something that we really always look at. And that's when we start talking about some neurological issues can take place. But unfortunately, that is hard for us to diagnose. It's hard for veterinarians to diagnose. Um, you know, so a lot of people are not going to spend the money to do that. Uh, but by understanding how the brain um, works when that stress happens can also turn around and help you understand the physical aspects of it. And so the contrasting part, the cerebrum, is the emotional center called the limbic system. And so when you have a dog that's in a highly emotional state, the limbic activation is high. Um, And at that time, basically, the dog has really no inner self-control. So they can't even think clearly. Um, And so the limbic activation, when it's high, the cortical activation is low, which means that when the dog is basically working off the limbic system, they cannot be responsive to the things that you're asking. Okay, So um, the limbic system, which is the emotional part of the brain, will override the cortical system, which is the logical thinking part of the brain. So this is why when dogs are all stressed out and you're yelling at them to stop and sit and, and, you know, do all these things, the dog is not responding to you because they cannot do it. They cannot do it. The emotional brain overrides the logical thinking brain. So we have to understand that. So when people are correcting their dogs for showing fear, for showing that external anxiety, when they're barking at another dog when on leash and their owner is yanking them and yelling at them and telling them to sit or using a shock collar to stop it. That's not fair on the dog, right? Because the dog cannot be responsive to you when that emotional brain takes over. So what we have to do is keep them out of the area where the limbic system is shooting off and, um, and overriding the logical part of the brain and the thinking part of the brain. And so that's the cerebrum, okay? That's the cerebral cortex. It's involved in problem-solving and logical thought processes. The limbic is all about the emotional part. So we have to keep them in a place where the limbic is not being involved as much so that the cortical um, or the cerebral cortex, cortical system, can actually be responsive to the things that we're working on and the things that we're teaching. Uh, So I know y'all can do so much more research on this if you really want to go a lot deeper. There's a lot of information out there. And I just want to touch on a few things that I think affects my clients um, directly. But there's so much more information that you can can really get into a rabbit hole with this. Um, When we're looking at like fear, um, again, fear is related to more specific behaviors of escape and avoidance. So you're going to see the fear. Um, It's really going to be a response from the dog's external behavior. Um, Also anxiety. It's a result of threats that are perceived to be uncontrollable or unavoidable, like another dog approaching while your dog is on leash. That can absolutely create anxiety because the dog doesn't feel like they can handle 
the confrontation, the stress, or the conflict. They can't do their normal communication. And so some anxiety can completely take over with that. Now, quickly, I do want to say that um, they have been doing some research as far as finding specific genes that create uh, this and the kind of genetic predisposition. They've not identified anything in um, dogs. They have in humans, um, but they have not in dogs. But I think that's something that's probably going to be coming. Now, I say that, but this paper was 2014. Um, They may have done a lot more research. I did not go that deep into that research. Uh, But like I said, you're welcome to do that. Um, I do think that there are a lot of dogs that have a predisposition um, to fear and anxiety. Uh, But I think it's just one of those things. It's just going to take more time to get a lot of information on. I'm sure there are some studies out there, uh, but probably not enough just yet. When we look at um, other things that can create fear and anxiety issues, and this is one of the things that I deal with a lot, if you've ever worked with me, you know how serious I am about nutrition because nutrition can absolutely affect everything. And when I look at nutrition, I look at, um, basically, I'll look at protein levels. I will look at um, the type of food, uh, what are the ingredients, what uh, is going to inhibit things like serotonin. Um, Because when we look at serotonin, you know, serotonin is that kind of calming. Uh, Too much protein can sometimes inhibit serotonin. Um, And so we really kind of look at... Uh, the level of protein for that dog, and some dogs are affected, uh, where the tryptophan is just not uh, being developed and being used because of too much protein. And, and so, I mean, again, it goes very deep into things, and I don't want to get that deep into anything here, but we always want to look at protein as well as um, kind of the other ingredients that are in there uh, because, you know, corn and, and those type of things can also cause issues. And I always tell people that, you know what, if your dog doesn't feel good, they're probably not going to be acting well. And not feeling good can create some anxiety as well. So keep that in mind. Um, When you're looking at something like a low dopamine, if um, a dog has low dopamine levels, um, that can be involved in the development of fear and anxiety, uh, which is why we start talking about using medication with some dogs. Um, And there are some other things that are, you know, affecting that as well. Um, But when we get into dogs that have kind of chronic stress, you are definitely going to get dogs that are going to um, have a hard time dealing with uh, changes in environments. The immune system is going to be completely affected. Your dog may show more signs of sensitivities, intolerances, could be showing some, you know, Uh, environmental allergies or environmental sensitivities. Uh, Dog is going to maybe have, you know, colitis or diarrhea. Maybe it's um, eating things it's not supposed to, like its own poop. Uh, That can also, can create that. Uh, You can get uh, anything from a decrease in appetite that shows some anorexia anorexia to diarrhea, vomiting. Um, So that chronic anxiety is serious and you can get a lot of serious behavior issues. I know people spend a lot of money on monthly medication for sensitivities and intolerance or allergies or itching. um, And they're not, they're just looking at that external behavior or external symptom. They're not looking at what's deeper, what is causing it, right? 
So a lot of people think that, oh, a dog is just nervous and fearful. He just doesn't like this, doesn't like that. So we just avoid it. Well, if your dog doesn't like that, more than likely he's got other issues, um, other fears, or he's showing them just not as external as what you're thinking. So, uh, you know, a few other symptoms that you may want to look at, um, like the dilated pupils, tense muscles. So when I see a dog that's really tense, uh, they may not even be barking. They may not be staring me down, but if they're really tense, that tells me then that they are exhibiting some type or, you know, feeling some type of anxiety. And so I have to really kind of watch that. A dog that's hypervigilant, you know, they're just looking at everything and they're, they're really just kind of, you can see that stress. That's a pretty, um, that's a pretty obvious one. Again, we got the, the panting, uh, flatten or helicopter ears. So when the ears kind of go flat back, um, that can absolutely, you know, be that your dog is a little nervous or anxious about something. The lower tail may be wagging, uh, but it may not be. Uh, displacement activities, doing something else. So when we talk about those calming signals, hyperactivity or stillness. So either of those can easily create that. Vocalizing, drooling is another one that um, you'll see a lot of dogs that get anxious that have not just been sniffing the ground a lot. If they're drooling a lot, that can definitely show some anxiety. Um, and then, of course, the expression of the anal glands, uh, that's when is, once you smell that, you can't unsmell it. So that is also a symptom you need to look at. And then, of course, when we're looking at bearing of teeth, growling, those type things, and obviously your dog is feeling uncomfortable about, uncomfortable about something. This is what happens. I start talking this long, and I start to uh, fumble over my words. And sorry, I know I'm talking fast and I'm kind of throwing these things at you, but I want to try to keep these podcasts under an hour. Um, but there's just a lot of information that I want to throw out there. Um, I guess the main stuff I want you to understand is that if your dog is exhibiting any of these signs, if, you're, if you think your dog has any type of anxiety, fears, phobias, we need to do something about it. There's, there are things that we can do. So what can we do about it? Obviously, we talk about behavior modification. Um, and that is teaching the dog to deal with the things that make them nervous and build confidence. And of course, you know, there are a lot of times we do some desensitization. We'll do counter conditioning on a regular basis. Uh, you will definitely hear about the counter conditioning next week on the leash reactivity uh, based off of fear. Uh, we're going to talk about that specifically next week. And you know, oftentimes we will use medication. Um, I don't typically start with medication. I might start with some CBD oil that just helps to balance things out. But if I see that a dog is really struggling and they're really severe, we will do medication, um, some long-term medication, uh, you know, that we might do. And of course, you want to speak to your veterinarian about it. But a lot of the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors we will use. Uh, typically fluoxetine, uh, sertraline, uh, there's clomacalm out there you can use. And then if a dog is really having severe issues, you can use a short-term anti-anxiety med such as Xanax or Valium. Um, I don't recommend those on a regular basis. Those would be something like your dog has um, severe phobia and anxiety of thunderstorms, then we know a thunderstorm is coming. We could use uh, Xanax to help him calm down. 
Um, but I wouldn't just be using Xanax just to calm down during thunderstorms because if your dog has a thunderstorm phobia, more than likely we've got other fears and phobias and anxiety, and we need to look at that. And so sometimes you need something a little bit more long-term to help chemically with the dog. What we don't want to do with a dog who has anxiety, fears, phobias, we do not want to flood the dog. In other words, we don't want to take the dog out and say, okay, I want you to get used to kids. So we're going to go sit at a playground and you're just going to get to listen to the kids and we're just going to sit there all day. That is called flooding. That is not going to make your dog feel better about kids. It's actually going to make it much worse because again, you're not allowing the dog to escape something that is frightening. So um, just getting the dog, you know, you think you're desensitizing the dog, but again, we look at once that limbic system kicks in, that emotional state is there. There's no learning that's taken place, right? The emotional state overrides the logical thinking, which means no learning can take place. So you have to keep them out of that area. So do not flood them. Do not punish a dog who is exhibiting fear, anxiety, right? Or a phobia. Now, when I say that, people are like, well, I would never punish my dog for being afraid of a thunderstorm. You're right. You probably wouldn't. But how many times have people, or you could have, corrected your dog for barking at another dog or a person that they were afraid of? Have you punished them for that because you were embarrassed that your dog barked at a man in a hat because that dog was frightened and then you punished them? So again, we can't just look at external behaviors. Many people that, you know, reach out for training uh, have gone through aversive training with their dog with trainers that are trying to stop the external behavior, but they're not dealing with the underlying issue of the external behavior. So punishing your dog for being fearful and reacting to that fear and exhibiting that fear is inappropriate. Right? It's like punishing a kid for being afraid of Santa Claus. It's ridiculous. Why do we do that? Forcing our dog to deal with something they're afraid of. That's flooding. Again, not going to help your dog whatsoever. It's going to make things worse. We never force a dog to see or do anything. Okay, don't disregard your dog's fear and phobias. Don't ignore it overall. It is not helping your dog physically, mentally, emotionally. Your dog is suffering. And there are things that we can do to fix it. Right? It's going to sometimes take some time. It's going to take some management. It's going to take some changes in the environment. But it's doable. We can at least help a dog learn how to live in this world as happy as they can be, even if they are genetically predispositioned to fear and anxiety. We can still help to a point. And we need to be able to do that. First thing is educate yourself on it. Do deeper research on this if you want. Right, because there's a lot to it. I mean, I've been dealing with fear, anxiety, and phobias for 25 years. But even when I started doing a little research just to put my thoughts in order, which maybe they weren't completely in order for you, but trying to put my thoughts in order on this so I didn't miss out on things, it was a rabbit hole. There's a lot of information. And I'm sure there's probably some new things out there talking about uh, the chemical part of it. But what we look at, again, is that nutrition, we make sure that we help the dog um, handle the situation so they can learn, 
Um, and so we always want to make sure that we are thinking about the cerebral cortex and not the limbic system. All right. So if we're looking at that limbic system that's taking over, then we are basically flooding our dog and putting them in a situation they cannot be successful. And again, understanding it, not just looking at external behavior and thinking, my dog's bad. My dog barks all the time. My dog is lunging at cars. My dog is lunging at bicycles. My dog is so bad. I'm going to punish him for this. Have you ever thought, why is my dog lunging at bicycles? All right? Could it be because the dog is fearful of that bicycle? There's no rhyme or reason for it. Probably not. But it could be that your dog has fear of the bicycle. So when in doubt, don't punish your dog. Don't yell at your dog. Don't scream at your dog. Don't hit your dog. Don't punish your dog for exhibiting inappropriate behavior. Let's get to the root of it first and come up with a game plan on how we want to fix it. And that's probably the biggest, if I can leave you with anything today, that's the biggest. Don't just look at external behavior and think, my dog's just being bad. All right, let's look at it. Let's make sure the dog is not suffering from fear, anxiety, a phobia. All right, the, the dog is in, unable to cope. It's our job to help them. And of course, always looking at that nutrition because that will also help them uh, feel better, do better. Uh, just helps the system work better. If you've not listening, listened to the Gene Dodds interview episode a couple weeks ago, listen to that because that will open your eyes to nutrition, sensitivities, um, intolerances, and can truly help your dog completely. So I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Um, I hope this did not give you a headache. Um, I know it seemed like it was a little all over the place, but there's, there's just so much information. And I know I keep saying that. There's just so much information. And you don't have to go as scientific into it. Just know there are things we can do to help your dog. Uh, your dog does not have to live in anxiety, a, a state of anxiety, a state of panic, a state of phobia. Um, they don't have to live that way. We can help them. So reach out to us and let us know. Info at dogspeak101.com. If you have any questions about the podcast episode or you have any ideas for a podcast episode, please email us at podcast at dogspeak101.com. Be sure that you like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and of course, check out the Patreon account page if you would like to support us. And if you, again, if you cannot financially, just share it. Just please share it to all your friends and your family and reach out to us. We can help you with your dog. If you're not local, we do have Zoom consultations that we can work with you on. Um, and there are so many things that we can do to help you and we can even work with your veterinarian to find the best course of action if medication is needed um, or whatever it is that we need to do for you and your dog to help your dog be the best version of himself hope you guys have a wonderful wonderful rest of the week